Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for another episode, and I'm here with, well, a new friend of mine, Brooke Schultz. Brooke, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped. <laughs> well, and and you know, something that's that's begun to happen with the podcast as of late is that we've had some photographers reach out and say, hey, we I'd love to be on the podcast. And I think I may, in the outro of the podcast episodes, I even invite people to to uh, to email me, to contact me. I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that we get to have this conversation. And we're going to be talking about creating, shall we call them love-soaked family portraits here in just a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to get to that content <laughs> in just a, just a few minutes here. But to start off, we normally talk about something called a technique for time. And very simply, this would be something that you do maybe in your day-to-day workflow or through the week that helps you create time and space for yourself as a photography business owner so you don't get burnt out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about this. So automation is a big one for me. Mm. I think automation is kind of the magic sauce of running a solopreneur business. I'm I'm solo right now. Yeah. And I feel like it's just a way to get... The robots on your team. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I automate things like emails and marketing campaigns and that kind of thing. Another thing that I'll mention is batching. So just doing similar tasks together. You probably know this, but it takes so much mental energy to switch between tasks. And so I found that batching and just making sure that I'm doing only editing or only emails like all together really helps me in my workflow. Yes. And and I think those, okay. So first of all, I want to go back to the automation because this is a, a important point of conversation that I don't think is, uh, it's not talked about enough. I will say that our industry has finally moved to a place where automation is innate to, I think a lot more workflows just because of the, the CRMs, the customer relationship management mm-hmm. systems that photographers are using more and more. Do you use a particular one? Well, it's funny you should ask because I am just switching over to Kartra. So I'm, have you heard of that one? No, I haven't actually. What What have you been using and why are you making the switch? So I've been using Mad Mimi for emails specifically. And then um, I've dabbled with things like Meet Edgar for social. And um, I think that's the only other one I've really used. But uh, Kartra is really like an all-in-one solution. And you can host video and you can make membership sites. And so with my online courses and for other photographers who have different branches of their business, it's a really great solution. At least it seems to be. I'm on day one. So I will have to keep you updated about how that ends up working out. But it's really sophisticated like funnels and marketing campaigns and and all of that. Okay. And then do you use a, a system to help automate communication with clients? Because a lot of photographers are beginning to use those types of systems as well that you know, automatically respond to somebody when they submit an inquiry, for example. 
Yeah. So I, that's definitely on my list to do. I am doing a lot more low volume right now. And so I don't have the same need for that as maybe other photographers who are shooting like 30 or 40 weddings a year or things like that. Sure. Um, but I, I think it's super essential to us as photographers being able to scale our businesses and stay relevant. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, automation is something that I've talked about for quite some time. And, and as I said, just a few minutes ago, fortunately, it's become more commonplace in the industry because of some of these tools like, you know, 17 hats, for example, these, these CRMs that have been put in place for the sake of photographers or small business owners that helps them automate uh, the booking of clients, communication with clients, uh, invoicing clients, and so on and so forth. This process of automation helps save an incredible amount of time. That busy work that we used to have to do as, as small business owners, we don't have to do as much of that anymore. It saves an incredible amount of time. So I'm glad that you highlight that. I think automation is really important. We, I mean, we live in 2019 now. Uh, for those <laughs> of you listening in, and we're actually recording this on uh, January 2nd, but in 2019, there's absolutely no excuse for not taking advantage of not only technology, but technology, fortunately for us as sole proprietors or small business owners, that is either free or relatively inexpensive for the amount of time that it saves that helps automate that workflow. So that's important. And then you mentioned batching tasks. This is certainly something that I'm familiar with, but I don't think enough photographers practice this uh, this principle because it is easy and, and trust me, I'm guilty of it as well, but it's easy to like just kind of react to something that, that is incoming, whether it's a text message mm-hmm. or an email or, you know, you just happen to think about Instagram. You're like, oh, I want to go check that again or, or, or Facebook notifications, whatever it might be. It's easy to react versus saying, okay, with this segment of time, I'm going to you know, focus on email or this segment of time, I'm going to work on this album design or whatever it might be. But batching those tasks and focusing on one thing at a time is more efficient. And, um, and I think it's important that, that you brought up that point. I'm glad that you share it. And I, I think that our listeners could probably stand to do more of that in 2019, save a little bit of time. So th- these are great points. I'm glad that you bring them up. Thanks for starting us off. <laughs> I love this technique for time segment because it lets those who are listening in, maybe you know they only have five minutes or 10 minutes to, to get started in the podcast and they have to go to something else. At least they walk away with something of value. These are good reminders. Speaking of free time, how do you like to spend it? <laughs> well, when you ask me about free time, I just laugh because I'm like, what's that? But <laughs> you mentioned before we started actually that you have three kids. They just that in and of itself keeps you busy. Oh yeah. And so I mean, free time in the sense of nothing to do doesn't really exist in my world, but I love it that way. And so time when I'm not working is spent with my kids, with my husband, my family, and also with friends, like other photographers and business owners, I think that sense of community is so huge as photographers who mostly work alone. We really need to have pretend like we have coworkers sometimes and go hang out with other photographers. I also just love everything creative. I'm a musician, I'm a writer. So I just love to create in any sphere. Well, this is something we've talked about before, but I I can't agree with you more um, about this idea of the importance of community. 
And I, I am still amazed. I, I, I think I've kind of gone from fixating on it and being frustrated with it to just realizing that this is a tendency a lot of times, not just in the photo industry, but I think in, in a modern American culture in general, which is to avoid making the effort to actually spend time with people in person. And, and I realize it happens. It's not that it's not happening at all. But I, the excuses that I hear at times from people about why they, quote, don't have time or, quote, too busy um, to make it to a get together, it's surprising to me. And I'm not sure why people don't want to connect more than they do. And everybody has their own reasons, I realize. But I think it's absolutely vital, not only for the, the health of us individually as human beings, but also for the health of our business, that we're making connections, that we're furthering relationships. And, you know, we can learn so much even just from those conversations, uh, not to mention, of course, the benefit of just connecting with other human beings. So I think that's really, really important. Um, and then you, you mentioned your three kids, spending time with them and your husband. Is there something that you guys like to do when you have like a free evening together? Oh, gosh. <laughs> They're all just so little that yeah. we love to spend time just wrestling around, playing, just doing. They kind of run the show. And um, <laughs> it's it's hilarious because they just come up with the funniest things to do. So we have stairs that go down in our house and we have these boogie boards from when we lived in California. We live in Utah now, so we don't have use for boogie boards outside, but they love to ride the boogie boards down the stairs. That's hilarious. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. What a stark contrast between living in California and Utah too. That's a big, Mm -hmm. big change. Wow. Well, that's probably a point of conversation for another day, but I want to get to (laughs) something that's somewhat related to this idea of creating free time for ourselves. And and that is a relatively new question I've begun asking our guests, which is how have you learned to be a bit more centered, a bit more present? It's easy to get distracted as we talked about earlier in day-to-day life, just again, as, as human beings and modern culture, uh, but certainly as business owners as well, how do you how have you found is most effective to stay focused as an individual? Oh my goodness! Yeah, we could ha- we could talk for ten hours about this. But <laughs> the two the two highlights that I'll mention are one meditation mm. and two planning. So meditation is kind of a new thing for me, and it's really hot <laughs> right now. Everybody's kind of trying it out. Sure, um, but I've really found that it helps me be more present beyond just the practice itself. So I usually spend 20 minutes in the morning meditating. And sometimes that's a body scan. Sometimes it's a sitting meditation. There's actually a free mindfulness-based stress reduction course that you can take online that kind of takes you through a bunch of scientifically proven meditations. Really? And it's definitely investment of time. We can put the link in the show notes if you're interested. But Yeah, um, that would be awesome. And what's that called if you don't mind? It's called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And, and yeah. you mentioned a body scan, and then what was the other type of meditation you're doing? Sitting meditation. So okay. sitting meditation is just fancy for sitting and doing nothing, <laughs> focusing on the breath. It's kind of that okay. classic, what most people think of when they think of meditation. Yeah. Um, but there's there obviously many types of meditation, so I would encourage people if they're just kind of starting out in meditation to take a look at that free course and mm-hmm. also just start with anything because anything that you do is going to be better than nothing. So even if it's just five minutes on YouTube or Headspace or whatever it is, meditation has so many scientifically proven benefits that it's just crazy to not do it, even if it's just five minutes. But obviously, the more, the better. 100%. And then 
No, I, and I have to jump in here because I, I agree oh, yeah. with you very, very much. Um, the experience that I've had with meditation overall has been amazing. I think I've told this story on the podcast before at least once, but my friend Nicole Goddard, who's a photographer in California, we've, we've had her on the podcast before. She was really the one that, that introduced me to the idea of meditation. And the first time that I ever tried to meditate after I'd had conversation with her, uh, she had suggested that I focused on on my breathing and kind of long story short, I did it at the end of the day rather than the beginning of the day thinking it'll help, you know, calm me down and I'll sleep better because I was focused so much on my breath and I was breathing more deeply. <laughs> I ended up literally with like a physical buzz and couldn't go to sleep or go to bed for 45 minutes <laughs> uh, because of it. But there is something to focusing on your breathing, which of course is, you know, you're, you're, if you're focusing on your breath it helps minimize the distraction of, of other thoughts. That's kind of the idea there. A, a book that I've mentioned before in the podcast that related to this that I would also highly recommend to those of you listening in or curious to try meditation in 2019, Michael Singer wrote a book called The Untethered Soul. And he talks about how to go about meditation in a very simple, very effective way. He also deals with the so-called voice in our head. You know, a lot of people talk about being ADD and being easily distracted. And I think a lot of that actually has to do with us as human beings giving significance to that so-called voice in our head. And he talks about how to deal with that. Um, and it, it's really, really powerful. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Highly recommend that book. But one of the things that he talks about when it comes to meditation is just very simply, you know, when, when we try to quote, not think about anything, it's easy to just think about something, right? It's, it's that whole, like, don't stick your hand in the cookie jar. Of course you want to stick your hand in the cookie jar. But mm-hmm. what he suggests is, you see a thought coming in, instead of trying to ignore it and push it out, you acknowledge it, and then you literally see it out. Um, and, and when I do this, I'll kind of see it out the door, like visualize seeing this thought out the door. And you repeat this process. And once you do that over and over and over again, you end up with this so-called clear mind and, and in a really almost like deep trance. I mean, I've, I, I set, I'll set an alarm, a softer alarm, if you will, to, for you know 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And there have been multiple occasions at this point where it kind of just, it pulls me out of, of this trance almost, but it, a lot of that has been created by going through this process. So for those of you who are like, I can't not think about anything, that doesn't make any sense, try the idea of seeing the thought, acknowledging it, letting it out, because it's almost as though, you know, your, your brain processes when you're sleeping, it kind of organizes organizes your mind, if you will. And that's a very simplistic way to describe it. But your going through this meditative process is a similar. Uh, it's a similar idea. And if you if you're just going, 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 going all the time as a business owner, just as a human being, um, and you've got so much going on in your head, and you're not taking the time to actually process that, sitting and meditating for 20 minutes actually gives you the space to do that. And going about this process that Michael suggests is really great. I'm really curious about that course. Brooke, that you mentioned as well. So we'll link to both of these in the show notes and and I can go on and on about this. I think it's a really important topic, but thank you so much for for bringing that up. And you were starting to go to something else too. Yeah. One last thing about meditation too, because I love everything that you just said, because lots of people do have that that hesitation, like clear your mind. What's that? I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. That's way too hard. But one of the elements of meditation that I love the most and have had the most transcendent experiences with is this idea of acceptance and that you just accept exactly what is. And when you start to do that, it sounds so simple, but when you start to do it, you Mm. realize how little we practice that as humans. And I mean, that's a great thing, you know, to have ambition and to have goals and to 
be constantly wanting to do new things and and evolve to new heights. That's what we're designed to do as human beings. But that practice of accepting what is and without any agenda to change it Mm. is so beautiful. And I think can really translate to our photographic processes as well, that when we are working with subjects, instead of wishing that anything was different, whether it's with you or with your subject, that that powerful presence of accepting exactly what is can really transform everything. Yeah. Well, I think there's a innate to that. And again, very interesting point of conversation. We could probably spend a lot of time on, but (laughs) there is innate to that, that behavior. And again, I've been guilty of this as well is a a tendency to want to control the situation, right? You want to, you're not comfortable with it. It's pushing you Mm -hmm. outside your comfort zone or your, your little box, if you will. And, and you're wanting to try to control the situation. It reminds me of that quote that I think at least um, in, in our culture has been given to, or is said that Bruce Lee said this, this thing about be water, my friend, right? So the idea is if something drops on the surface of a, of a calm, serene pond, for example, that those ripples happen in response to that, that rock, for example, that pebble that's been dropped into the pond, but then the ripples happen and it goes away and it's smooth again. And the idea here is to kind of go with the flow, if you will, and, and learning to be okay with the situation, to go with the flow, to um, not tense up. I, I think of another analogy here, which is, you know, they say, if, you're, if you realize you're about to go at, to, to be in a car accident, the last thing that you want to do is to tense up. If you tense up, there's more likely a, a chance of being injured. Instead, if you, if you, and it's not natural per se, but if you learn to just, if you can learn how to, to relax in a scenario like that, there's less likely a chance of, of injury. Hopefully most of you don't have to go through that experience. I've personally experienced it and it actually works. Um, but regardless, wow. it's this idea of not trying, not tensing up and getting frustrated and getting mad with the situation, but instead mm-hmm. being like water, letting the, the pebble hit the water, let, let the ripples move out and then back to normal again, going with the flow. And I think that's so, so important. It's a great principle. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I love that. So planning was the other thing I was going to mention really quickly. And it's a very underrated, (laughs) underrated skill because when we don't plan, then we are left to our lower brain, the parts of our brain that are more animalistic and just focused on survival, Mm. the parts of our brain that get scared, fight or flight, like all of that. And when we are planning, we're using the highest part of our brain, right? The prefrontal cortex. And so applying that to whatever you want to do, whether it's short-term goals, long-term goals, just planning your day, that really helps me be more present. Because when you have that plan from your highest self, then you're able to just follow it and build so much trust in yourself and presence in just carrying out the plan versus kind of floundering around in that lower brain space. Hmm. And of course, the funny thing about this is there's quite the dichotomy between this idea and the idea of learning to go with the flow, right? Sure. So I think I think the healthy balance, and this is something we've talked about in the podcast before, is creating a structure, but not simultaneously trying to micromanage your life. I think there's a there's an opportunity to create structure which which gives us direction through a day or through a week as a business owner because we are as as you were alluding to Brooke being proactive in that way, but then also cr- creating 
a certain looseness, flexibility in that structure that allows us to go with the flow as something changes, I think is also important. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there are different ways to go about this. One of the things that I've talked about on the podcast before is, for example, if you plan three most important or four most important tasks for the day, um, that ideally can be completed, say, in two to three hours, maybe three to four hours, instead of planning 60 different things that you have to do for the day, then that gives you some flexibility, some freedom to, to react if need be to an unexpected situation to learn to kind of go with the flow. Uh, but then simultaneously, the very fact that you've planned those things gives you direction. Instead of just reacting to literally everything in your day, you're working toward accomplishing particular goals. In this case, accomplishing three or four proactive tasks, those things that are going to actually drive your business forward. So there's a funny contrast between these ideas of going with the flow and then creating structure and planning, but I think they they can coexist. And Mm -hmm. and again, great principle. I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think I'm a little bit too hyped up on caffeine and I'm coming back off of a, a Christmas break and taking time off work. So I'm excitedly talking probably a little bit too much, but I want to, I want to jump to the next question here. And that is what is the most impactful book that you have read or one of the most impactful books that you've read to date? Oh my goodness. I recommend this book to everyone in the world. Okay. Awesome. It's called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Okay. Wow. Have you read this book? Or I haven't. No, no. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes for those yeah. of you listening in Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. But what's the book about? It's all about the idea that we are the only ones who hold ourselves back from success. Mm. And it's a really quick read. And the concepts that he introduces about, he takes you through kind of why you're blocked in success and how to make that big leap to being kind of the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. But in in a way that's not too woo-woo and it's not too concrete. It's like the right mix of both. And it's just a really short, easily digestible read. Yeah. You know, there's, if there was a quote that represented, I think the biggest idea that I've learned and, and frankly, I'm still learning to apply to my life. It's, it's the notion that it's what you make of it. Right. And, and mm-hmm. innate to that quote is this, this idea that we, need to take responsibility for our life. The reality is we can't control everything as we talked about earlier, but the notion that we're going to put the responsibility for the success of our life on someone else, you know, on a mm-hmm. past experience, this thing happened to me, this person happened to me, etc. It it's just it's defeating in the end. Or as uh, Tony Robbins would say it's a limiting belief, right? Mm-hmm. And so this this idea that you take responsibility for your life, that you're proactive versus reactive again, it's so important. And uh, I'm really curious now about this book. I have so many books on my list right now to read, but I may have to add this one in because I, I already like the philosophy and I appreciate you sharing that as well. Let's get to photography yeah. a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about how long you've been in business as a photographer and, and the kind of the backstory, how you got started. Yeah, would love to. So I have been in business eight years now and started as a photographer when I was 17 doing Photoshop for a family friend who was a photographer. And she heard me saying that I wished I could color for a living. I love to just like color and coloring books before it was cool, by the way. (laughs) Right, right. So she was like, I'll teach you Photoshop and you can help me out. And I had no real interest in photography at that point, but she took me on shoots and 
took me under her wing and I was like, maybe I could do this. And so then it all started with a coworker who wanted to have the cheapest wedding possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was showing her all these amazing photographers who I really admired and she was like, how about you just do it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's the blessing of of youth. And when I started out being so young is I just thought I was invincible. And so <laughs> I did everything wrong. I didn't have, you know, everything that I recommend to photographers now in terms of gear and insurance and backup and like all of that stuff just was not even. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, but it's, it's what we do, right? I mean, you have to right. get started somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So that's how it all started for me. And so I shot weddings for a few years and then um, transitioned to families, fell in love with film, fell in love with families in their homes. And that's what that's my jam now. Okay, so uh, how did you what was the reason, I guess, for making that transition from wedding photography to families. And we're going to talk about your family photography here in just a little bit. Just beautiful, beautiful work. I'm actually on your Instagram page right now, just kind of scrolling. It's just, it's gorgeous Aww. stuff, but thanks Nathan. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And, and for those of you listening and I'll go ahead and mention, um, if you just go to instagram.com slash Brooke, just like it sounds B R O O K E B Schultz. Um, of course we'll link to this in the show notes as well. That's Brooke's Instagram and it is beautiful, but why the switch from wedding photography to family photography? Yeah. So it's really tied back to what I was saying about being young and naive and um, having just, I was able to really handle the stress and pressure of a wedding day so well starting out. And as I got a little bit older, started growing my family and having some really intense things going on with my family, my middle daughter has some special needs there were just a lot of stress factors in my life. And I started to feel like weddings were just so intense in the sense of this is the biggest day of someone's life. Mm. And I was shooting film. So what if the film gets ruined? And all of those things started to feel like they weren't worth it to me anymore, to be quite honest. And I was shooting families at the time and there was a time where I was shooting weddings and families and my family work was just like pure fun. To be honest, it was just, I felt like I could go in and give these families a huge gift. And I felt like it was this symbiotic thing where they were also giving me a huge gift of being able to see them and to be inspired to go home and love my own family better. And it was just this like beautiful marriage. And so I decided that it was time for me to let weddings go, even though I still love weddings, even though, you know, it wasn't that I was disillusioned with the industry or weddings themselves or brides or anything like that. It was just kind of where I was in my life and time to, to make a shift. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. I, and I, it makes me think of, uh, it's something that I've mentioned, I think, on the podcast at this point, probably multiple times. I enjoy working in short segments of time, like where you go really intense for a short amount of time. I think this holds true for my life just in general. Short mm-hmm. segments of like a really high burst of energy, if you will, thrown into to whatever it is that you're doing. And then you take a step back and take a break. Wedding photography, and I, I shot weddings for over 10 years. I mean, you know, those 12, 14-hour days at times get really, really, really long and it's exhausting. And it certainly can be emotionally exhausting as well. 
Um, the yeah. idea of being able to go and do a two or three hour shoot maybe with a family is uh, could be a welcome solace, if you will, from from that kind of what can be chaos of photographing weddings. How long does a, an average family session last for you? So I, <laughs> I usually take them for about two hours and I definitely push them to the limit by the end of those yeah. two hours. I always laugh and say that my clients have to kick me out the door. I'm like, I have to close my eyes and not see them anymore because I would just keep pushing. But by the end of two hours, every family is completely done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And are you still shooting film as well? You mentioned film when you were shooting weddings. Yeah. Yeah. So I shoot hundred percent film for families. Wow. Okay. And what, what type of film, what kind of camera? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. So it's the Pentax 645N2 is my workhorse, okay. my big tool that I love so much. You know how when a camera just kind of feels like an extension of you, that's how I feel about yeah. that camera. And I just love it. Um, so that's my main camera with just the 75 millimeter 2.8 lens. And for digital folks, that's kind of, it's the equivalent of a 50 millimeter right. on like a DSLR. Yeah. I mean, when I was just in California, that was the only camera I used I just, and the only lens combo. And I also like to mix it up with the Nikon F100. Mm-hmm. Cute little 35 millimeter cheap camera. You can pick it up for like 135 bucks or something. Is it really that cheap now? Yeah. See, the, well, the, I don't know. It was when I got it. Maybe it's bumped up a little bit, but it's, that's amazing. it's so cheap. And I'll work with all of your digital lenses. Yeah. So I usually use the Sigma Art 1.4 with that. Okay. And I use 35 millimeter to kind of just play and do light leaks and um, double exposures and just fun shutter stuff and just have fun with it. And then the film I use is Portra 400. That's yes. my favorite film. Absolutely. It's just, it cannot be beat, especially when you're shooting indoors it's just the most flexible versatile forgiving and i definitely need that because i don't really shoot with a light meter anymore okay yeah you know i'm i I honestly am not sure why fuji seemed to kind of take over in popularity (laughs) versus the code i know this is a whole like nikon canon you know segment whatever that kind of conversation but I'm not sure why Fuji took uh, took over in in the film world or, or seemingly took over anyway because yeah. the the skin tones in in Portra 400 I would probably shot with 800 as well it was 400 most yeah. of the time um was just it was lovely um I shot medium mm-hmm. format I shot 35 and actually the F100 was my first quote pro camera that film mm-hmm. camera that I ever mm-hmm. bought. I, w- I started with this little Minolta, like a consumer level Minolta SLR, mm-hmm. and went to the F100. And that transition from this, you know, this mm-hmm. cheap Minolta to at the time what was like a thousand dollars or eleven hundred dollar F100 oh. was just <laughs> night and day. It was so responsive yeah, and it was fast and so it sounded, it felt good. Oh, it was, it was really, really great. So that's cool. Now, talk yeah. to us about your your brand position because I mean, there are plenty of family photographers out there how do you position yourself against the other family photographers in your market what's your brand position yeah i love this question because i think so many photographers don't think about it enough but i position myself as a soulful family photographer and so i don't really pitch myself as a film photographer or even necessarily an in-home family photographer but just the emotion and the candid natural nature of my work is kind of my point of difference. 
differentiation. And so I think that it's a mistake for photographers to try to do the uphill climb of I'm a film photographer and you should pay me more because film is better. I just think that is way too much of an uphill climb in my opinion. And that yeah, it when doesn't, we, when we go buy, you know, clothing or the, the latest phone or shoes or a car, they don't talk to us about the things that they use, that the materials, mm-hmm. in, in most cases anyway, the materials used to create that thing that we're excited about buying. And we have to remember that most consumers who are purchasing photographic services from us, they don't care about the nuances that we do as photographers. Exactly. We have to set that aside, stop projecting that on clients and focus on the experience that we're giving them. And it seems yeah. it seems like that that's what you're you're doing in this case. How do you communicate that though? Because there are, I mean, if I'm playing a little devil's advocate, there are plenty of photographers who are, you know, they talk about creating images that that house emotion that sure. are raw or candid in nature. How do you create more of a distinction with your clients? Soulful is not a word that I hear photographers use much, if at all. So I like that. <laughs> but how do you communicate this effectively to potential clients? Yeah, this is a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. So I think it's really interesting in the current market how how easily accessible images are. And so the more easily accessible images become, if you want to call it saturated, if you want to just call it technology, whatever labels you want to put on it, good or bad, that's what it is. And the more that access the easier that access becomes, the more we have to differentiate ourselves. And at a certain point you can drive yourself crazy just thinking, well, I don't know. I'm not that different. What? But the thing that no one can take away from you is your unique voice and your you. And it's the difference between being a commodity, having somebody look for a photographer, any photographer versus seeking you out to work with you. So I, I do that through a personal brand and through, putting my personality, my experiences, my writing, myself out there as the face of my brand. That's not the only way to do it, but that's the way that really resonates for me and feels most true to me. And are you doing that through your website? Do you have a blog? Is there a different format that you're using? Yeah. So website, blog, Instagram, and most recently I have started a podcast of my own about creativity. So that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting mix for me right now because most of the people who hire me to photograph their families are also photographers and I do education for other photographers. So it's kind of an interesting mix that way that I didn't necessarily intend when I first started out and wouldn't necessarily recommend to everyone, but that's kind of become my client base. And so because of that, then the podcast about creativity is appealing to photographers, but also just my target market is people who are creative and can appreciate those, those aspects. And what's the name of the podcast? It's called the heartful podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and, and that's exciting. I, I, it's fun to have conversation with fellow podcasters because it, it is a, I don't know if I want to be so presumptuous as to say it's an art form in and of itself, but it's certainly like there's a lot of, it's a discipline, certainly. Um, And it's been a learning experience for me the last two and a half years or so that we've been doing this podcast. But 
um, it's a lot of fun as well. And, and of course, just to have conversation can be really, really interesting. So good yeah. luck with that as you continue to develop Thank that. You. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Talk to us a little bit about the toughest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. Oh, man, this is <laughs> I have a little series on my Instagram called Preach Book Preach because I get a little preachy. So just just talk me off the ledge if that <laughs> comes out too fair much. Fair enough, fair enough. But the lesson that I've learned that's been the hardest to learn might sound obvious, but it's that you're going to fail and you're going to look stupid and to <laughs> be willing to show up for that instead of trying to hide and shield yourself from that. Uh so I think a lot of times as people who are ambitious and driven and you maybe even start out and achieve a certain level of success or a certain level of just satisfaction with your own work, it can be hard to kind of go from there and to take the next step because then you have something to lose, right? But the lesson that I've learned and what I would hope your listeners take away is that you're going to look stupid and fail and fall down either way, whether you go after what you truly want or whether you try to hide. Um, and so it's the difference between looking stupid and failing and making mistakes while you're trying to hide and live a small life or doing that along the path to your biggest dreams and goals. Huh. That's interesting. Can can you comment at all or kind of share what that personal experience was like? Because I mean, you're, you're obviously very passionate about it. Um, so this comes from personal experience. What did that look like for you? What did that process look like? Well, I mean, it could, it's taken so many different forms. I mean, from stepping away from weddings when that was the thing that was working. I mean, I, nobody was really asking me to become a family photographer. Mm. When I first started in family photography, I was known for my wedding work and I was featured in Martha Stewart weddings. Like I had kind of the check boxes that I wanted at that point. Sure. And so going after family photography was a big risk for me and it definitely did not pay off right away. I had a lot of struggle and time where I was basically begging people to let me take their family photos and not just an initial portfolio thing. It was probably a good year where I was really struggling. So I hesitate to like give a blanket advice statement in that, but just being able to listen to what your highest self knows and mm. what you truly want. Yep. Even and most especially when nobody is asking you to create it. That's kind of my fascination with creativity is that we spend all this time doing things that nobody has really asked us to do. That really ties back to, you know, the fear of looking stupid and the fear of failure and all of that, because it's not like you're commissioned by Kodak to go out and shoot these amazing family images. <laughs> it's, it's just true. a desire within you. And you have to be the visionary in your own business. You have to own that because nobody else is going to give you permission, not even and even most especially not your clients. If you're waiting for clients to ask you for things to provide them with services, whether that's albums or family photography or something new that we haven't even thought of yet, that's not their job. That's your job. Your job is to be the visionary in your own business and in in your own life too. How do you balance though the the 
the provision to clients or potential clients of something that they actually want, right? I mean, being a business owner necessitates listening to the market. How do you balance doing that on a practical level as a business owner with simultaneously doing what your heart says? And and like, how do you avoid getting so carried away with what your heart's saying that you lose the practicality of what's going on right in front of you and providing what your clients actually want? Yeah, I love this question. And I just did a whole podcast episode on it where I talked about Henry Ford and how, you know, he his famous quote is, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Mm. So he's kind of famous for not listening to the market and that served him well initially, but down the line, it didn't. And when the market's needs changed, then General Motors was the one who was there to swoop in and and really take over the car industry with things like car payments and, you know, closed car models and all those different kinds of things. So the lesson that I take away from that is that we need to be really attentive to our audiences and really attentive to our customers and then be innovative in the solutions that we provide to Uh, their pain points and to their desires. Um, Instead of I think this is another, you know, Tony Robbins thing that he says it's, you know, don't be married to your product, don't be married to your yeah. service, be really invested in the people you want to serve. And so for me right now that's families and moms specifically. And so I, I've got some things in the works that are definitely outside the box and not not everything that I've been doing because of wanting to serve them and letting that be your point of passion rather than your point of passion being photography. If your point of passion is just photography, then you might explore different avenues to get that out that are not necessarily service-based like stock photography or working for somebody else or that kind of thing. But if your passion is really serving those clients, that's where the innovation is going to happen. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, okay. So first of all, I mean, beautiful balance, Uh, finding innovation or creating innovation in providing the solution. I think that's a beautiful way to sum that up. But, but then secondly, too, a, a good point that you make there at the end, which is if your passion is simply photography, then, I mean, for that matter, just just go buy a camera and take pictures every once in a while, right. you know, at, and leave it at that. No reason to go through all the stress and pain of <laughs> running a business um, mm-hmm. just for the so-called passion of photography. But there is a difference between passion for photography and passion for service, and they can coexist, but understand the difference between the two because, again, it, that distinction will make a difference and potentially even how successful you can be as a so-called professional photographer. So, uh, wow, that, this has been really great conversation, Brooke, and, and I really appreciate sharing your thoughts on all of these things. Let's get into kind of our, our primary focus for today, which is your style of family portraiture. And, and you know, this idea of creating candid style family portraits isn't a new thing per se, but the way that you focus on highlighting the connection between your subjects, I mean, that's, that is a, a specialty of yours. And one of the things that you kind of alluded to in our conversation leading up to the the interview today was going in, asking the right questions. I think asking the right questions as human beings, as business owners to ourselves is is really important. Uh, We've mentioned Tony Robbins a couple of times uh, in this (laughs) podcast, and that's also something that that he emphasizes. But if you're going to go into capturing a family portrait, what are the questions maybe that you ask yourself or that our listeners should be asking for themselves um, in order to effectively capture that connection between their subjects? 
Yeah, I love this question. Amen to everything you're saying about mindset being so important in life and in a family session or any kind of session. So I think it's helpful to say what not to do Yeah, <laughs> because what most photographers do is to prep for a session or when they're thinking about kind of doing something new in their photo sessions, they look outside of themselves. They look at Pinterest or whatever and they look to all those outside sources and fill their brain with all those images. And Mm. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying if you stop there, that's kind of where it, it falls short because if you're just looking at those images and kind of waiting for the stars to align, to be able to create those images, you're going to be really frustrated. Like we were mentioning in the beginning, trying to control the session, not being able to go with the flow, all of that. So instead of doing that, what you need to do is think about what your story of family is. What story do you want to tell about what a family is? I'm so fascinated with this idea because when you think about it on paper, it really doesn't make sense why we live in families. (laughs) Why don't we just live alone where we could control everything, where we would have so much more money and resources where nobody would be able to hurt us. And we definitely wouldn't be, you know, woken up in the middle of the night by a crying child. (laughs) Like on paper, it doesn't make sense. And yet here we are still living in families and finding so much joy in it, despite all of that, all of that added everything. So as a photographer, what do you want to say about what a family is? How do you want to communicate that visually? And most people just say like, oh, I want them to look candid and happy and loving and natural. That's not a story. That's not interesting or specific, yeah, right? that's true. Because there's no book that says everyone was happy and loving the end. Like that's not interesting. Nobody's mm. going to buy that book. So what do you want to put in your story of family would be the question that I would propose to anyone who's considering a family session. Okay. So, and this is a, I I love the way that you summed that up, that you described the difference between just simply going into capture a candid photograph and how that isn't actually a story. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit torn here because if we're going in with the question of what story do I want to tell, what can you effectively capture the story of that family versus asking what the story of the family is and then attempting to capture that? Yeah, this is a great question. And I get it a lot from other photographers like, okay, that sounds kind of selfish. Just like go in and execute your artistic vision and don't let your clients have any say in anything. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's definitely a valid point. But the thing is, is that any photographer that you hire, you hire them because of their vision and their story, the story that they want to tell. Hmm. So anybody who's been photographed by multiple photographers understands this principle that you are portrayed a certain way by certain photographers and portrayed a different way by other photographers because of what they're looking for. And I think that this is ultimately in service of our clients because it helps them, number one, know what they're getting, that they can see your style of imagery and say, yes, I want to be in that story. I want my story to be told in that way. Mm. Because the the nature of photos, right, is that they're a selective story, no matter who you are. And going in and saying, I'm going to, I'm just going to capture your story and I'm just going to be there for whatever your story is. I think that that turns you into a button pusher. Mm. 
And that's when you get the clients that come to you with the million Pinterest post checklist and say, I want this picture and this pose and this person smiling this way. And of course there's a balance. So in the, in my courses and everything that I teach, I don't teach just you do your story of family and that's the end of, that's the end of everything. And don't, pay attention to anything that's going on. It's definitely a dance between coming with everything that you want to portray and things that you want to tell, knowing that they've hired you because they want those images from you. Number one, being confident in that. So many photographers are like, I thought I just, I prepped and I was so excited. And then I panicked because I thought that they wanted just a million pictures of them smiling at the camera. When really, if they've hired you and you've done your job of just showing what you want to shoot, then they've hired you to create the images that you're showing. And so that becomes your job and it becomes a disservice to them to give them 25 pictures of them posed different ways smiling, if that makes sense. It totally does. I think, you know, we've talked about this idea of managing expectations before in the podcast, but it can't be emphasized enough. Show the stuff that you want to photograph and and leave it at that. Don't worry that they want something else. And it, it is on the photographer to show only what it is that they want to capture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I remember uh, my business partner when when I was still photographing professionally uh, was photographing family portraits ninety five ninety eight percent in black and white. And mm-hmm. and the Chattanooga market, Chattanooga Tennessee market, was small conservative southern town. <laughs> That was extremely unusual, and most yeah. photographers would just kind of balk at the idea. But that's what she was showing. That was the type of work that she was showing, and so clients expected it. As long as you manage the expectations appropriately, it's not going to be a problem. So I, I love that you highlight that. And I also like this, this idea that story is king. That is what drives, what is the story that you want to tell, and then that kind of give structure to the way that you approach the session. But then let's add some practical elements to that too. If you're focusing on that, you're focusing on the story going into the session simultaneously, how are you, I mean, and maybe you don't pose, are you posing? How are you creating these images that look the way that they do it? Again, I'm on your your Instagram account and I'm just scanning through and there is just beautiful, candid work lit beautifully and, and seemingly like you have a lot of control over the situation. Are there particular ideas, tips, tricks that that you follow that our listeners can follow to effectively capture that that kind of candid, love-soaked imagery that's your specialty? Mm, yes. this <laughs> The dirty little secret of lifestyle candid imagery is that it's all a lie. It's all, <laughs> it's all posed. It's all controlled. But the thing is, is that when people kind of laugh at that, like you just did and are like, whoa, this is a little bit, uh, is this, you know, inauthentic. And those, it goes back to those elements of story that the story is really universal. And that when you hire a photographer, you really don't want the authentic, right? You want, you, you want the authentic emotion Hmm. and the authentic connection, but you don't want the authentic in the sense of like everybody just dirty in their PJs and whatever else. I mean, even documentary photography is, can arguably be not 100% authentic because the fact that you're a photographer being there makes it changes the situation. So this idea of inserting yourself being a problem, I just think is 
gives photographers a lot more suffering and a bigger uphill climb than they need to. So I definitely insert myself. So a couple of like quick fire tips that people can apply to their very next session of getting more connection visually in the imagery. Number one would be to create connection. So when I ask people, what's the fastest way to create connection in an image? They usually say touch. And that's true. But touching heads is the fastest way to create the most connection. And when you see a picture of people with their heads touching, you see visually that those people are connected. So no matter what's going on in the session, no matter if dad's mad or mom's feeling insecure or the kids are going crazy, if you get those heads touching, you have that visual communication box checked of connection, love, intimacy. It's there for you. So I always recommend touch the heads. <laughs> touch heads. Okay. So I'm thinking about this though, and and I like playing devil's advocate and, and yeah. your conversational ability, it, it plays into that really well. So playing devil's advocate for a second, how do you, how do you touch heads? I'm thinking about a couple, for example, and I, I photographed couples weddings primarily during the 10 plus years that I shot. But in, if you were to take a couple who doesn't normally touch heads and you know, you just, you're like, okay, touch your foreheads together and close your eyes and, and look happy and peaceful or whatever it is, it can, it can look contrived. So how do you go about creating that connection through touching heads and simultaneously make sure that it doesn't look overly contrived or awkward? Yeah. So the thing that the biggest mistake that I see photographers making in this is that they think that clients have to feel natural doing whatever they're asking them to do. Hmm. And that's not true at all. The only thing that matters ultimately is that final image, right? If we want to be really cold and callous about it, um, the only thing that matters is visual communication. So it doesn't matter if they feel natural. It matters if they look natural. So like you said, it can look contrived when you're kind of micromanaging it that way. But you just kind of manipulate it to wherever you can make it look natural. And so as you kind of adjust those different points and get yourself really attuned to what is it about this that looks contrived? Okay, he's furrowing his brow. Okay, she's looking at him like a little bit awkwardly. Then you can then you can take apart those different pieces and put them back together so that it looks natural. But the great news about this and the amazing byproduct is that when you get people to look natural, when you tell them, like you said, put your foreheads together and, um, but instead of saying, you know, look happy and peaceful, then I would say to them, take a deep breath in and let it go and do it with them. And once they do that, Mm. 99.9% of the time, they're going to look natural, even if they don't feel natural, but they probably will start to feel more natural too. As you just help them look natural and have that be your main goal, then that feeling natural piece will come as a byproduct. But even if it doesn't, even if you get, you know, those families, those clients that really struggle to feel natural in front of the camera, even if they don't feel natural, they look natural. So you've got the image and that's, that's the key. Well, and, and I'm looking through, again, your Instagram feed here. And for those of you listening in, I mentioned earlier, but if you just go to Instagram.com slash Brooke B. Schultz, just like it sounds, and we'll link to it in the show notes, um, you can see examples of the different ways that you're having people's uh, people put their heads together. You know, it's not just simply put your foreheads together and close your eyes, which I don't know, for some reason, I have that kind of cliche <laughs> image in my head when I think about people putting their heads together. It, it, yeah. it looks different, um, with different subjects. 
And, you know, whether they're, somebody has their head, they're just resting their head on their, their baby's head. And, and, and this particular image I'm looking at, the father is close by, he's kind of looking around at the baby's face, or maybe the kid is kissing the mom or whatever it might be. It, it can look different. It doesn't have to be the same thing with everybody. But I also think about too, like if you're, if you have two people who aren't used to this idea of being posed in a more intimate manner, um, it may, and even if they go to, to take those deep breaths, they'll probably start laughing, um, in that Perfect. moment yeah, too, exactly. which is, which, which generates that raw emotion. So that's good. All right. So create the connection and do that by putting heads together. And I think we've talked and we've covered that in pretty great detail. Take us <laughs> to the next tip. Yeah. Well, and that's just a starting point as well. Like you don't, I'm not saying that that's the rule that you should follow in every image. The ever. end all be all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tip two is expect things to go wrong. This kind of goes back to what we we're talking about, about just accepting what is going with the flow, but also being able to plan and control is it's really easy to look at other people's work, other photographers' images and kind of assume that they have these unicorn clients of like, oh, mm. well, those clients are just so loving and connected naturally. Like she just kind of showed up and clicked the button clearly. But so then that creates a lot of anxiety when you're the one shooting and you have a family in front of you that's not doing that naturally. And you think, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure or they're such a problem or whatever it is. But when you just expect things to go wrong, and you know, like if I ever had a session where something didn't go wrong, I think I would just lose my marbles. I mean, you just expect it to go wrong. Then you're able to really prepare yourself to handle whatever it is that comes up. You expect parents to be uncomfortable. You expect mom to be insecure. You expect dad to be a little bit micromanaging. You expect the kids to cry and to want to run away and whatever. And then you just have all these tools in your tool belt to be able to handle those things when they come up, not if they come up. And yeah, this just plays on the idea, as you said, that we were talking about earlier too, is you know it's going to happen. So just be ready for it. And, and instead of reacting, I, and this is, this really resonates with me because it's a tendency that I've had more so in the past. It's something that I, I'd like to think I'm getting better at, which is rather than tensing up, just relax, take a deep breath mm-hmm. and go with the flow. And it's going to be so much better when we don't fight it. We don't try to control the situation. So that's, that's good. Expect things to go wrong. It just is what it is. Uh, this is a great tip. Take us to the last one. Yeah. So the last one would be to invent games. Kids love games. Adults love games. We all love to have fun. So instead of saying like, put your hand on dad's shoulder, how can you make that a game? When I say the magic word, you're going to glue your cheek to dad's shoulder. I mean, just utilize all your creativity to make whatever direction you're going to give fun. And this is why people are so scared of family photography and like scared of kids, especially if they're coming from kind of the couples world, because with couples, you can just say, put your hand here, put your, what direct them very, very directly. But with kids and families, then you just take, you don't need to make it this big production. Like I said, of making them have this very, very feely experience. Like that comes as a byproduct, but then you're able to instead just, go one step further of making whatever your direction is a game. And do you, I mean, have you taken time to just sit down and come up with these and you write them down, then you have a list of games that you pull from when you go to do a session? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So in my courses, then I detail out like 
um, tons and tons and tons and tons of games. But I think the more important thing is to have the skill of being able to make whatever direction or image that you're going for into a game. So I definitely practice the skill before sessions. So I'll think of new games that can be based on directions or they can be based on kind of a feeling that I want to create. So for example, if I want to create motion and experiment with motion, then I might think of the game of tug of war and have them play tug of war, like an experiment with what's it like if mom and dad play tug of war? What's it like if the kids play tug of war? What's it like if we play tug of war with feet or limbs or whatever? So being able to have kind of a core base of games and then riff on those within the session. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Okay, so we'll make sure then to, you've mentioned your courses and this this might be something of interest to our listeners too. So we'll make sure to to link to your courses in the show notes. And again, for those of you listening in, take advantage of the show notes, bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. Haley puts together very detailed show notes from these interviews. And uh, it's a, definitely a point of reference as you continue to develop your your photography businesses. Check out the links, the resources from this episode as well. And, and speaking of this episode, Brooke, thank you so much for making time to kind of share your perspective on life, on photography, businesses, and then more specifically on how to create these wonderful family portraits. We'll make sure to link to your website, your Instagram in the show notes, but can you go ahead and share those with our listeners as well? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it's been a treat. Uh, so people can find me, like you said, on Instagram at Brookby Schultz. I also have a free Facebook group for photographers that we can link to in the show notes. Anyone's welcome to join if you are interested in these ideas of creating more soulful, heart-led images. Um, my website is brookschultzphotography.com, and I have a little freebie for your listeners. If cool. they want to go to brookschultzphotography.com forward slash Boca, okay. they can grab an audio download of how to prep your clients for a lifestyle family photography session. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Yeah. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. You all listening in, go check out the show notes, get that free audio. And uh, Brooke, thank you again so much for making time for the book of podcast today. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.